The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for tuning in today. Do you ever wonder why you do what you do or what is holding you back from what you really want? If you ask people if they would like more meaning and purpose in their lives, they will always say yes, but many times what is holding people back from achieving what they really want is themselves, and we really are our own worst enemy. What we're missing is the ability to know how to take charge of our brains and rewire them to optimize and awaken our higher intelligence, both emotional and spiritual. Is this even possible? Well, my guests today say it is with the new book, The Quantum Brain. Dr. Ahmed Goswami is a theoretical quantum physicist and consciousness researcher, and he's the author of numerous books. And in 2018, along with his collaborators, he established Quantum Activism Vishwalayam, an institution of transformational education in India based on quantum science and the primacy of consciousness. And also joining me today is his co-author of the book, The Quantum Brain, Dr. Valentina Onasar, and she's a family medicine physician who integrates alternative medicine systems into her practice and is a pioneer of quantum integrative medicine. So we're going to get into some interesting things today. Welcome to the show all the way from India. Good to be here. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me. So I've been spending some time with the book, and it's it's really interesting. I'm I'm loving it. And what you're revealing is a consciousness based understanding of our brain as part of the great oneness. And I I know people sometimes get confused over the definition of consciousness, and I'd like to know your definition of consciousness. And Dr. Goswami, you can go first. Okay. Well, uh, the way people generally understand it is not wrong. It's just not the complete story. This is the way it appears to us. It's phenomenological. Uh, we ourselves um, include us in the equation. We know that we are conscious. And yet, uh, most people think that uh, consciousness is an object. Why is that? Because uh, in our everyday usage, I and me seems to be the same. 
Um, but if we look close, then I is an experiencer and me is an object. I can look at myself, but that does not make me me. I am still an I because I can experience me, and me cannot experience the I. But it is a very difficult distinction for most people to catch. Only um, intellectuals can appreciate it. There are ways to appreciate the eye, and that's what meditation does. So uh, spiritual traditions figured out a long time ago how to define consciousness. And the definition that the Indian Vedanta gave, uh, that still stands, and quantum science has established the validity of this definition. Consciousness is existence, that nobody can doubt, I exist. Then awareness, Nobody can doubt either that we have conscious awareness. I see the world, that's that awareness. And then uh, the last one is ananda. Ananda means joy or happiness. Ananda is expansion of consciousness that gives you real happiness. So it lays out that the basis is existence, existence itself, manifest existence itself depends on consciousness. Without it, there is no existence both in potentiality and manifestation, existence is a conscious property. And then awareness, and then the objective of consciousness is to achieve uh, that capacity of having happiness by expanding consciousness. So the more I live the me and become I, the I is the universal experience. The more I engulf include other people, and that's how the right definition has to go. And Valentina, as a physician, I'm curious of your understanding because you deal with people um, on, like here here on earth with physical problems, and that includes life and death, right? So did you was your understanding of consciousness, has it changed since working with Dr. Goswami? Yes, indeed it has. Uh, I mean, I was into science and spirituality ever since I was, I mean, I grew up in a family of priests and doctors, and this was a big topic all the time, you know, how can they uh, come together, you know? So for a healing, if you think of quantum healing, but not even just that, you know, like quantum healing requires a special quantum leap, but for any kind of healing, which is major, we have to boldly recognize the healing power of consciousness. Uh, of downward causation with freedom to choose. We kind of forgot that we have this freedom to choose. We don't see what resonances we maintain in our life, not only through what we eat and lifestyle, but also through the way you think. You mentioned this negative emotional brain circuits, of course. Yeah. So once we realize the resonance, we have the freedom to choose. Do we? Do I want to maintain this kind of resonance, which is destructive, or not? You know. And if yes, what steps? What should I do? That's why we, we refer to the creativity, the stages, you know. So in transformation, as well as in healing, we refer to stages of transformation. And the creativity, the quantum creativity is explaining very easily because you, you're not doing this, this ultimate leap of healing or, or of transformation at once, you know. That's the beauty of what uh, we are doing, you know. So if you will study more, you'll see that, especially the PIP students that come um, to our courses, we can. We are very happy to see the evolution 
You know? So consciousness has the requisite wisdom in its supramental compartment, how it's called, and also the mechanism to choose a new context for the mental processing of emotions. Also, it has the power to discover what is needed and to make that quantum leap of insight, as we call it. And it can manifest the insight by unblocking the vital feeling of the affected chakra. Hope you heard about chakras. If not, we'll describe. Just unblocking the movements of the associated vital blueprints and also reviving the correlated physical organ with the proper organ function. So, for example, you think of spontaneous healing of cancer. This is due to the sudden onset of such a dynamic surge in the immune system activity that the cancerous growth is destroyed within days or even hours sometimes. But afterwards, you still have to go towards that stage of creativity, which is called manifestation. So you are to embody that what was the value of an insight, you know, which when it's an insight, it's something that you owe. Nobody can doubt, make you doubt it, for example, you know. So it's, it's beautiful. And we speak, of, of course, about self-healing, first of all. In order to be a real doctor, you need to go into self-healing. And then, of course, other things. We don't think that we have that ability, but as you explain in the book that we do, and give us steps to take to try to in, enhance that and, and increase it. And I know people sometimes really have a hard time grasping the fact that consciousness even exists. I read of an experiment where a doctor had placed pictures on the ceiling in a, in a ward where people came that had heart attacks. And he was trying to see if once they were in that unconscious state, if they would come back and recognize the symbols on the ceiling, like when they left their bodies. Yeah. And it, I don't think it was a very it, a successful experiment a lot of the time. But he was trying to prove the existence of consciousness. I don't know if you ever heard of that experiment, but I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I heard. And it's it's so beautiful to start um, grasping this kind of concept, which relate to the expansion of consciousness, actually. You know, because if we are living just in a rigid, materialistic, you know, attached way of thinking, that's, I mean, you heard about this pineal gland, the calcification of the pineal gland, which explains this kind of phenomena so uh, going towards happiness and health refers first of all to also being able to live uh, and uh, work and do everything in a state of expansion of consciousness right and i thought it was interesting in the book that you describe the mind is not the brain i think we've we often think that it's the same thing that consciousness uses the mind to process information through our brains and that's really how the relationship works, right? Our brain is more like a receiver. Is that right? No, actually, the, there is a better way of thinking. This receiver transmission of signals is not the right way. The right way to think of the brain-mind relationship is hardware and software, like we think of computers. Uh, hardware is the physical part of it. Hardware with physical law. If you drop a computer, it will fall like any other physical object. But what you use the computer for, like word processing, that is not subject to physical law. That's subject to your laws, the software that you have built in the computer. That's the difference between how the mind, consciousness, and brain are related. Brain is the hardware. Consciousness uses the brain to map its ideas through mental thoughts into the brain as software. 
And in quantum physics, I think this is so interesting. And I want to ask you about an experience that I've had. Quantum physics says that objects are possibilities residing in the domain of potentiality outside of space and time. So there's another dimension, I guess, that that we're not really aware of and that no signals are required for communication. You call this locality and non-locality, right? So I wanted to share with you an experience that I had, and I'm wondering if I pulled information from this field of potentiality. So I was on an airplane a couple of years ago, just sitting in my seat, kind of waiting for the plane to take off. And I was thinking in my mind, I bet that John Perkins is on this flight. It was just someone I knew, not a close friend. And as I thought that thought, he came walking down the aisle and I had this weird feeling. How did I know this? Am I psychic? Um, was I somehow pulling information from that field? And it just, you know, even though we didn't have a connection, we weren't really close friends. I knew he would be on that flight. Yeah. This how, how does that work? Because <laughs> I was surprised and I haven't been able to do it again since then. Yeah. yeah. They said these are unexpected things and this unexpectedness is the signature. It's a, it has to be a surprise. You were surprised because it was not premeditated. You were not thinking about him or there was no reason to think of him, but the thought came anyway and he appeared. So, you know, this is the kind of thing that initially was called synchronicity, that Carl Jung's name, because psychology was not ready for non-locality yet. Uh, we didn't have the concept. In physics, it was barely created. So um, non-locality became fashionable only after uh, it was experimentally verified. That came in 1982. And ever since, all such paranormal kind of experience, we have non-locality as the explanation. So there is a reason that that happened, but I couldn't, I couldn't do it on demand, no. right? No. <laughs> no but maybe, yeah. you know, I'm thinking that it's, it's a sign that you are definitely connected to that field, right? to this field, wonderful field of consciousness. Yeah. And, but yeah. uh, I think you can even train that, especially as a woman. You know, women have uh, a better access than men actually to even higher intuitions. You know, so as a woman, we have a great gifts. You know, the problem is that we don't go towards the manifestation phase. So you can train it. Can, for example, when you're picking up the phone, do just like one step. And try to try to pursue, play with yourself. Like who's there, no? The yeah, phone. I try to do that, and I also try to do that. I'm sure you've watched the show Jeopardy, right? In India, no. Do you watch Jeopardy, the quiz show. <laughs> Somehow, I'm I'm amazed how the answers come to me when it's something I wouldn't think that I know. And so now that I've read about this field of potentiality, I imagine that I'm I'm receiving that information from that field. And, and is that, you're saying it's, that's kind of true, right? It's a signature. Actually, the surprising thing is, Diane, that all our thoughts come from that domain of potentiality. The, the thing is that, you know, mind, mental thoughts, they don't sit in the brain. They're not part of the brain hardware. The software, mental software, is, uh, in, in physics, we use the word correlation or entangled. It's entangled or correlated with brain circuits. So when the brain circuit is excited by some stimulus, and that stimulus usually is an external stimulus, but it can be internal stimulus like an intuition. And, and then also the 
the response would be a choice from the potentiality of thought that consciousness has in response to that stimulus. And this is why there is a connection between stimulus and our thought. But of course, we can thought without, we can think without stimulus as well. So internal stimuli are effective also. We volitionally can invite a mental memory to come. How do we do that? We do that because um, uh, this is the way science of consciousness works. There is an arrangement. It's a, it's a scientific thing. You know, we don't have to, like in a computer, you have to push a button. We don't push a button. At most, we associate. If we cannot remember on first try, and you say, okay, let's see what I can associate this with. And we think of some other things associated with, and memory pops up. But the memory is, as I said, it's not mental memory. Mental part is not located in the brain. It's in the domain of potentiality. Right. And you you say in the, or you describe in the book that we've known this information for thousands of years, like you said in Vedanta and other ancient texts, they talk about it. Would this be similar to where uh, people have talked about the Akashic records, that there's a record? It's in that field. Exactly. The Akashic record is talking about Akasha. The word is very funny and very suggestive. Akasha means uh, space. Akasha means outside of space. And that's exactly what the domain of potentiality is like. It's outside of space and time. And that's where we get these ideas, mental thoughts. In fact, the physical world too comes from potentialities of consciousness to choose from. Right. Where people like Steve Jobs and inventors, where they come up with these ideas for Apple and you know, all these amazing in inventions, that's where it's coming from. I, I love, I love that idea. And I, I want to know, like Valentina, you said that we're able to develop the strength to pull information from that field. And that's what I want to do. So I'm studying the book <laughs> very, very intently. And uh, the thing is that, for example, the value of rituals, so even more than the discoveries you mentioned, the value of rituals, like this simple the prayers, the Christian prayers, for example, or uh, the Hindu tradition, any kind of tradition, it has a very, very powerful rituals. And when you have the right intent, which is purpose in the relation with purposive movement of consciousness, you know, the purposive evolutionary movement of consciousness, and you do a specific ritual, which was done thousands of years ago, you will see the strength, the transformation, which comes with that exactly for this reason. And is that where you describe rewiring the brain? Those rituals help to make it easier for us by rewiring our brain. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. partly that. It rewires the brain. But we can also um, uh, open the brain up to new thoughts. That is the best way of rewiring them. I mean, rituals is one way. Certainly, the more rituals we do, the brain will be more rewired for uh, getting into the collective unconscious, for example. So that's a good thing. But the best thing for rewiring the brain is really to be creative. Yes. Now, I, I want to explore the, that idea, those ideas. By being creative, in, could that, that could be in any way, whether it's writing or drawing or just daydreaming. Would that be also, creative too? From the Olympics and look at some of our athletes who are so creative. So, yeah, it can be in anything. It can be physical, vital, mental, supramental. 
So that rewiring, I want to ask a, a little bit more about that. We've heard a lot over the past few years of neuroplasticity and neurogenesis. Neuroplasticity is the actual rewiring, right? And then neurogenesis is where things are actually re regrowing or reproducing. Right. Is that that's the difference? Yeah, neurogenesis is about stem cells and they are reprogrammed into performing a function that the brain cell that was doing it has died. So re regeneration is important, of course. So, uh, but it, it it is not that frequent. It is harder to uh, accommodate that, accomplish that. What we can accomplish quite easily is this rewiring, and rewiring can go a lot of distance because the other way of rewiring is even more radical. Uh, what Valentina and I have discovered is that the, she mentioned chakras before. I don't know if you noticed it, um, but we have these chakras, the centers of feeling. And the, each of these chakras represent a particular software that is uh, connected to the uh, organs in that chakra. For example, heart chakra has the two organs, thymus gland, which is part of the immune system, and the heart. Um, but their function can be changed. If I learn to love, if I quantum leap to love, then um, uh, the functions of heart becomes different. It becomes quantum, the heart now can love. The energies change. And so the heart uh, chakra, which had defensive energy of the immune system before, is now a loving energy of the heart, quantum heart. And this can also happen to the brain. So our research discovered that there are uh, four chakras in the brain and all four chakras, if uh, we change the functions, deliver the functions by creativity, then uh, we really can rewire in a very new way. We actually, uh, then is when we can not only use rewiring of the old brain, but remember brain is very little used. So we have plenty of brain cells available for new uh, uh, memories anyway. And in addition, if the old memories are necessary and they are gone because of aging, then we can uh, do the regeneration. So we are very well equipped. The brain is a fantastic instrument that way, but not when we use it routinely. And this is what we are trying to say in the book, that look, learn about the quantum brain and learn how to use it. And Valentina, what would be some ways that you described ritual? What would be some ways that we would work with? I know a lot of people are familiar with the chakra system. Could, like, could you describe a, an experiment or ways that we could you know, physically do this? Sure, because not everybody knows about yoga and about chakras, mm -hmm. and that's okay. But the thing is that uh, we have to start uh, seeing where we are now. You know? Each of us is not, another, there is no other way. So you have to see where you are now, everybody, because transformation is possible. That's for sure. That's something which uh, the materialistic science says that we are kind of robots and that we cannot transform. That has to disappear you know, from your mind because it's not true. Yeah. So you have to see the base level human condition, what is you know, how we are designed by the laws of the universe and evolution and understand that, first of all. And then 
truly decide to work on on these things, you know, and to understand where we are now. Again, everybody from where he is, and let's just, let me just mention a few words. It's much more in the book. So first of all, we have this quantum self or ego, yeah, the I me polarity in the way we experience the subjecthood, right? So um, you can the me pole, right? So we have to see that if we become transactional, our consciousness is constricted, right? So you know very well when you're constricted and when you're expanded, okay? When you're thinking of something traumatic, for example, or again, just uh, uh, survival, yeah? Because it's a lot of survival now, a lot of fear that you see now in the world, that's a constricted state of consciousness. And then you can see, pay attention to see and write in your journal, for example, what it feels when you're expanded, when you're facing uh, something very beautiful in the nature, or when you feel love for somebody for no reason at all, right? So that state of expansion, it's a big difference. Try to see what makes you contract it, what makes you expand it, first of all, yeah. Then we have all these negative emotional brain circuits which are built into the brain. This is something which I didn't know until I met Amit. So part of this circuit seems to be instinctual and its unconscious triggering is followed by immediate survival-related action and later thoughts of emotions. But unfortunately, the imagination enters the picture in a habit called mentalization of feeling. We misuse our negative emotional brain circuits and cause ourselves a lot of mental stress. Yeah, So you have to check the, this negative... And now especially you look too much at TV, too much in the news... It's very, very easy to 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 how to say to strengthen these negative emotional brain circuits. Unfortunately, the more fear and anxiety you see around you, the more you feel lonely and all that. So, again, it's something which you have to see that is there. At the same time, you cannot make the circuits disappear. That's also something you have to only counteract by um, bringing the positive ones, which are compassion, forgiveness love, all that, yeah, all the good things. And you need to apply them wherever you are, whether it refers to work with yourself, first of all, which has to be the case, and then work with the others. And then make of your life a life of exploration, you know, with courage. It takes courage to transform, yeah? And uh, you see, wow, what's happening today. So, and then finally, we have the pleasure circuits, which give us dopamine, endorphin, and other molecular high when activated, and addictions later on. There is even addiction for internet. Yeah. So there are opiate drugs that work on the brain like endorphin does. Okay. So one habit leads to another, and drug and drug like addictions are very hard to quit. Yeah. Okay. And um, pay attention because the negative takes longer to pass. So we need to have the courage and perseverance to work with them. And uh, for reasons of survival during evolution, the brain has taken over the control over instinctual feelings connected with the lowest three levels, chakras again, if you know about chakras, which relate to the maintenance of the body and reproduction. And the heart chakra is about love and the brain seems to have instinctualized at least two kinds of love, maternal love and romantic love and other love types. There are other types, you know, like altruism. And uh, mirror neurons, neurons that enable us to mirror and experience what another person next to us is experiencing, right? Enables us sympathy as well as a sympathetic response that we call altruism. So that's just the beginning. Yeah? But what can you do? You can practice what is called mental hygiene. This everybody can do. We're going to yeah. take a short break and then we'll be right back in just a minute to 
discover more. This is so fascinating talking with Dr. Amaka Swami and Dr. Valentina Onasor. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Be Present, the Diane Ray Show. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining me discussing the quantum brain today with Dr. Amaka Swami and Dr. Valentina Onasor. And before the break, you were sharing some ways to get us into that uh, a state of awareness where we can experience more expansion in our brains. And I thought it was interesting when you mentioned about negativity that it seems like our brains remember negativity more than positivity. Is that right? I mean, again, the the lower mind, like I said, is like a monkey there. And it's mostly instinctual, survival-oriented, right? So it's, and then uh, you need to to balance, to balance and bring in the noble feelings, right? Which which relate also to the beauty of being a human being, actually. Yeah, All those qualities which make us humans, which start with love, first of all. And love is the easiest way towards that supramental experience, towards that, what you mentioned in the beginning, that non-locality, right? And also love is very healing and very transforming when it's love. Again, unless we did our homework, that's not really love. It's mixed with attachment, with dependencies, with our immaturity, you know? So it takes work. I mean, we are here to work. For me, I see that we are like in a school and uh, we should pass over that uh, domination, which unfortunately you see in so many parts yeah, for humanity, but that's not really the humanity that we talk about. So humanity is overcoming that domination and goes towards love, towards fraternity, towards universal values. And that comes when you're transformed and then you're transforming the world. But this takes a lifetime, right? I mean, how how soon can we experience change? That you're describing. It can take more or less. It depends. You know that we have uh, the reincarnation and the karma and we are here for certain lessons. You know, we have certain qualities which refer to our dharma. We are here not by coincidence with certain qualities and not by coincidence with certain lessons that we we have to learn. It's not a punishment from the universe or from God, you know, but it's lessons of growth. And once we, we do them, you will see, like it's it's such a joy and simplicity and love and gratitude that comes in our life, and uh, yeah, it's a beginning of maturity, right? And when you're rewiring your brain to try to make these positive emotional connections, and you were describing kind of a meditation exercise, do you both do that every day? Those meditation exercises. Mm-hmm. Well, it is actually a bit, um, it, has to, it has basically two components, uh, any creative work. Uh, you imagine, you do practices uh, like yoga, breathing, uh, that Valentin already mentioned. But in addition, uh, you also have to uh, engage the mind. Engage the mind in uh, ways that we call the higher mind. The archetypes. We are mentioning love, but there are also truth, 
if you want to know the truth about love, that's another way of going deep into the nature of love itself. And then there are other archetypes like justice. Love can also be combined with fairness to others. Uh, abundance that's connected with prosperity. Abundant by itself is very cut and dry, survival oriented. But mix abundance with love, mix abundance with goodness, and then abundance also become a source of noble emotions. Because only when you have noble emotions, then you feel that you can give. We give from abundance. We cannot give from our miserly mind, however rich we are. Just notice how very, many, how very few people are philanthropists. It's much easier to get an ordinary person to help you than a rich person to help you. Because the richness does not mean that they will have their heart open. Heart open means uh, they're open for love. And rich people usually don't have it. As you know, Jesus said that when he said, it is easier for a camel to, uh, it's easier for a, I'm forgetting. It is easier for one to go through the eye of a camel than for a rich man to love. It's something like right, that. Right, right. So, yeah, easier to go through the eye, eye of a needle than a, a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven. The eye of a needle than for a rich yeah. man. Yeah. <laughs> for God or love. So, you know, this is the kind of thing that one has to be aware of. That abundance is not having material uh, richness. Power is not having the power to kill others, power to do harm to others, but power to love. Power to uh, persuade others to what is the truth. Help others to see better. Help others to heal, as Valentina would emphasize. And that healing others heal also ourselves to realize who we really are. We are this expanded consciousness. We are this positive emotion. The nature of the brain, because survival was important during all these evolutionary years as lower level creatures, we are kind of spoiled in our brain. We have those emotions as a permanent fixture. We can never erase them, but they can be certainly balanced and even harmonized by doing the practices. Uh, Valentina especially has is developing, has developed somewhat already, but is developing uh, the quantum way of practicing yoga. She calls it quantum yoga. And, and this is, this is the way that we teach. Uh, yes, you practice quantum yoga, you can change the way. You can change. Well, that's the- interesting because I've, I mean, I've been practicing yoga for a long time, but I've never practiced quantum yoga. How, how do you do that, Valentina? <laughs> Yeah, but it's it's when we do quantum yoga again, it's not only the practices; it's also understanding all these things, you know, and uh, learning to to get to a life of meaning and purpose, you know. So I've been uh, through spiritual schools also for many many years, and uh, recently, in the last years, five years since I met Professor Goswami, I got uh, the click which I needed, you know. And then together we developed this program indeed. It's a very deep program and it takes years. We are still in developing process, right? But again, it's, um, it's, it's, we go, we refer to stages. And for example, what I told you about the mental hygiene and seeing where we are and acknowledging the base level condition where we are exactly, it's just the first thing. And then of course we go further and apply all these steps of creativity. There are really steps which start with being inspired. You have to have 
I mean, you heard about uh, Science of Manifestation or about that movie, The Secret, which doesn't really give the secret, actually, you know. So uh, whenever you want to transform or whenever you want to apply it for something higher in your life, you need to, to be inspired, you know. So if you're not inspired, you have you can have any kind of strong mind. It's not going to work, you know. So if it doesn't uh, create that expansion initially, you know, afterwards you need to learn how to apply the intent, you know, and there are stages, how to apply the intent and so on. So we describe very deeply, very in detail. So there are stages of transformation and that's what we want to do. Mental hygiene and attention, actually. You know, that lack of attention is serious business. Even if people are just, you know, don't understand this so much. But uh, again, in the normal waking state of ourself, which is the ego, we are just preoccupied with the external world so much so that we become quite unbalanced between the external and internal, producing this internal-external dichotomy. You know, it's not a unitary state there. And all this information processing. Um, so we need to, to do this rewiring of the brain. But you'll see, like, it refers, it's a person, it's like the butterfly, you know. And transformation many times uh, is not easy. But again, I saw in my practice and life that uh, we have only two options. Like kind of either we we learn by suffering, you know, either we assume a conscious way of living. Well, I'd like to get to that level of awareness. I mean, it's something that I try to be conscious of myself, but it does, it takes constant, you know, kind of nudging yourself. So it made me think when you were talking about how we go to the positive, not as much, we go to the negative more. So what about this? I mean, as as humanity, as a collective, it seems like our best comes forward in the worst of times where we automatically do want to help people, right? I mean, if I don't know if you heard about the apartment building that came down in Miami and all those people died, there were people that rushed to help. Or at nine mm-hmm. eleven, I think we want we want that. It's our first instinct to to go to that place, but then we stop ourselves, right? Well, that's the thing. We don't remember the lesson because the uh, these circuits, the software of the circuits, they are in the collective unconscious. And we have to make some effort in order to activate them. And those efforts are the what lacks in people. The circuit, the, the software is there but we don't use them, just like the falling in love. Uh, software is there. Anybody who wants to really find love, um, they can, they will fall in love because the software is already there. Similarly, the altruistic software, our ancestors already has built into them, built into their collective unconscious, the altruism software. But most of the people don't use it most of the time. Only in time of calamity can we use it. And this is the tragedy. If they only remember how good they have felt when they help people, they would they would remember. So it is it's a question of doing it and seeing that it really does expand the consciousness and it really does mean happiness. Including another in my consciousness is what happiness is about. But we become too pleasure-centered. Pleasure is available without um, much trying because it's in the personal unconscious, very easy to provoke uh, you, yourself into pleasure-searching. Pleasure searching. So that's what we engage with most. And we lose the essence of life, meaning and purpose. 
there is no meaning, no purpose in pleasure except to have a good time using the brain, using what we have. And that is important because, of course, uh, pleasure is like food. We need it. But how long can we have pleasure? We also have to live the rest of the time. We spend in either boarding, getting bored or seeking pleasure. And that's the waste. Instead of doing that, we should engage in opening up, create positive emotions, balance the brain, and eventually transform the brain altogether to live higher emotional software. And you know what's happening next is that you start living in the flow. So it's, again, your actions will not be like uh, mechanical. You know, for example, when you practice forgiveness, yeah, which is a big one, both for healing, but for transforming your life, for being happy, actually. You know? So forgiveness, is, it's a big one. And uh, initially, it's something that you're doing. And then it comes something that you are. You know, it's very interesting and a lot to talk about that. But um, also about practices. So whatever practices we do, if we have this... Uh, dharma in the background you know like an archetype that we choose to follow archetypes like which are the highest thinking highest feeling the most noble human values which exist which we forgot unfortunately many times about like love like uh, yeah for example and um, if having that in the background of your life you know to guide you then uh, it makes sense it's, it has to be something which is talk, it's kind of talking to your heart you know it makes you want to um it gives you wings you know it's kind of it's inspiring you so much that you want to uh, reshape your life around that yeah so the goal of what you do for example in quantum yoga um is the ability to live and act from expanded, inclusive states of consciousness, right? Because otherwise, like Amit was saying, we are dominated by the pleasure circuits and these addictions, but also about the consumerism, which you see nowadays. And again, the information processing. You have so many things now online, yeah? You have to just know how to look and find things. And then you're just satisfied with that status quo, but you're keeping yourself in the box. And eventually that leads to unhappiness and disease, which are, again, messages of transformation. It's so fascinating what you're teaching people because you're giving us that power to, we, we can kind of overcome our bodies. I mean, do you believe going forward in the future that we will be able to stop Alzheimer's disease and things that, you know, rob people of, of their memory and, and their life? We, we do have that ability. Yes, we do have that ability, and the ability to and ability is available to every children. But we don't, we have taken robbed them of these abilities because we don't encourage them. For example, I'll just give you one example: how women become so reliant on others and not have that strong navel chakra. At the age of five or six, it's just a uh, common agreement among psychologists. That's when people learn autonomy. Okay, I have to take charge. I have to really understand the world. And parents generally encourage it for boys, but they do not encourage it for girls. No, you must not take that risk. You must not do because you are a girl. You have to depend on others because you are a girl. And of course, their mother also depends on the husband. So girls, girls also learn by example. And they see their mother being constantly dependent on the father for things like going out on the wilderness or going out on a risky trip or even simple things um, without guidance. And, and uh, they learn that, okay, this is what girls do. They play with dolls and not take risks like on a football field. 
<laughs> you know, that is what we consider evil chakra. And then everybody suffers when uh, one gets to puberty and sex is just not even part of education because we are so ashamed of the idea of sex that we never explain it properly and never explain the place of sex that it is actually meant for love, not necessarily for pleasure, although it can be used for pleasure and it is very pleasurable and there's nothing wrong with having it except it is really best used for love. And therefore, if uh, uh, children uh, should be taught about sex, then should, they should also be taught about love. And that's where the mist awakens the heart chakra. As I said, the software is there. It's in the collective unconscious. Romantic love is built into everybody. Potentiality. But the potentiality is not used, it's not triggered. Because boys are, of course, doing it anyway, because they don't listen to their parents. They have their autonomy that was not discouraged when they were six, but girls especially, they listen to their parents and uh, they become stereotyped. So in this way, we today have a lot of people, men and women, you know, it used to be that women have uh, open, a much more open heart, but it is getting less and less true in countries like America. Well, would you say, that's interesting if you think about it. So with with men and women in those roles, I mean, I know back thousands of years, women were priestesses and queens and, you know, we, we ran societies, right? We were decision makers. And then somehow over time, these patriarchal ideas came in. But do you think all of those old beliefs, we, we learn them, even if our parents don't teach them to us, they're in the, in the field, right? Or they're in the collective unconscious and we pick those up and just continue on with it, right? We have to relearn those things. Yeah, uh, let me answer that if you want. I, I'm also yes. doing, uh, working with women, and uh, I love that very much. It's part of why I'm a woman in this life. And the thing is that we we have so much, you know, really. We have so much, so much divine gift, you know, as women. But we play so much in the victimhood state, you know. So we blame the society. We blame how we grew up. We blame our lovers. We blame I don't know what, you know. So instead of that, we should uh, become responsible, yeah? because our role for what's happening right now in the world is tremendous, you know. And we, I mean, we, we, you know very well that, for example, women, girls, you know, they grow up, they become mature, also emotionally and all that, much earlier than boys, right? And um, again, we have this. Um, I don't know, some buttons which say that we depend on on some things, you know. And uh, it's not about becoming a feminist. It's about being a woman, you know. Because, again, we uh, the women which have Manipura Chakra, you know, like this belly area, uh, strong, what you see in the world now is that women become men. That's not the point, you know. You need to be a woman and hold that ground for healing, especially for love, to embody truly that divine power on earth, divine force, which is healing, is not uh, dominating others, but instead is loving and it's healing and it's wise and it has all the qualities, you know, and then we will, we can very easily, we are kind of at the level of the, the mental level in the relation. What's happening is the, the woman actually is uh, young, let's say, you know, so whatever you're thinking as a woman in a relationship, you're very much influencing all that situation, for example. And also, wherever you're working, 
So the way you see yourself and the way you project all those emotions and things and feelings, you know, it's very, very powerful. You know, for example, women, when they have period, you know, it's like all these religions, they don't understand what's happening because the woman can be so strong and very strong negative in those times, you know. So again, as a woman, you have to see and assume your qualities and also the power that you have. It's a creative potential, which is amazing in the case of women, you know, but women really, like I would raise this signal alarm to just truly become responsible and allow yourself to blossom to what you are as a woman and know yourself. No, I think we need to spread the word with that because oftentimes as women, we fight against each other rather than, you know, being sisters. You know, that's the thing. We have this as a quality. The women, if you appreciate another woman, if you look at her with uh, admiration, immediately you're picking up that quality. So the non-locality is built us in us so strong, much stronger than in men. And that capacity to create what we call tangle hierarchy and to truly create each other, learn from each other and grow together as women. It's amazing. It's so much easier than men. But again, what we do with this gift? Right. We fight. We fight over the man, you know, fight over yeah. clothes, over material things, you know, things that don't that yeah. don't mean anything. Yeah, it's so interesting what you're teaching and what you're sharing. The society and culture also works against women. I mean, it is still so anti-woman, um, uh, the culture in most countries, in India, in, in America, in Brazil. I have, uh, we, all the countries that we work. Uh, Europe, it, it's, it's a shame because the on the face of it, of course, uh, women move around and they go to school and colleges. There are more graduates, uh, college graduates among women than men today in America. That is all true. But on the other hand, uh, why isn't there strong naval chakra for these college-educated women? Why is it that they're so easily influenced by demagogues and conspiracy theories and so forth? And that's the mystery. I mean, it, it, it is because they don't anymore uh, find things with their heart. They have bought into a men's world values. So today, um, you know, I was watching one day, uh, one night, uh, what is his name? Uh, Stephen Colbert. And, and he, um, was, uh, interviewing a woman. And, uh, he said, uh, he said something like, Oh, women are emotional. And then he apologized to the, to the guest. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. That's a pejorative word, isn't it? And the woman went along with it. I mean, emotion to use the woman, women are emotional has now become pejorative. He said, he said it's, it's absolutely, absolutely a huge thing to be emotional. It's a much better thing than a mental, mental, mental intellectual. So It should be positive, yes. <laughs> yeah, but again, it's up to the woman, you know, because again, the woman is like a storm, you know. You can, like in the, imagine, you can truly put the world upside down with all your strong emotions, you know, but it's, it's not, the point is not to suppress them, not to repress them the same with the man. There are differences in in the way we are made, you know, and the way we are, we have to behave, you know, we, we are behaving and everything. So we have different roles, which um, is beautiful when we manifest them. And it's all that polarity game of creation, which um, is bringing the balance of the universe and the beauty and, and all that. But again, now kind of the world is upside down and it doesn't mean that we cannot 
<laughs> we cannot do anything about that again so being in the victimhood is not at all healthy yeah we have truly the responsibility to see why we are here most of all we have to see the importance of purpose in our life because it is the purpose that brings us all these things the need for self confidence the need for getting things done the need for high thinking and noble feelings we don't see the need i mean the all the basic needs are already built into the brain if you accept brain's negativity well this is the way we are you don't we cannot change all these things then of course you cannot do anything because we are that way no denying it this is the first thing we emphasize in the quantum brain that look brain has this base level human condition if you accept that this, this is it then you are stuck but you don't have to accept because science is showing otherwise we have infinite potentiality to change with and this is what valentin and i have unlocked some of the mysteries of how to do it well i i have to say reading your book has given me a lot of hope because i think that there is room for change and no matter how old you are you can still learn new things and i'm i'm very hopeful and i'm going i want to continue to expand my awareness and my brain and you had mentioned your institute and we just have uh, about a minute left and i'd love for you to share where people can go to find out more about your work and maybe um study and find out uh, about the institute the website amitkoswami.org and there you see the section master and phd programs and then you see the information and also the contact is there so amitkoswami.org we have also weekly live webinars on facebook and we have activity <laughs> a lot of activity now we we give masters and phd in quantum science of health prosperity and happiness we have uh, singled out these three compartments of uh, every human being that we all desire but we don't we don't uh, investigate explore them properly so to explore them properly is what we teach we teach how to act in the world with expanded consciousness expanded heart if you will so well it's so is, important yes what you're doing and i appreciate you both so much and i want to send people to the site it's amit a m i t gaswami .com find no, out more .org Oh, I'm sorry. amitgaswami.org, O R G. Go there and find out more about the institute, about all of the books and also the new one, the most recent one I'm reading, The Quantum Brain is just fascinating. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Diane. You're wonderful. So happy to be with you. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. What is it you really want in life? No matter what you've been through, you can still achieve it. I'm Sandra Ann Taylor, and in my Energy Activation podcast, we'll explore the science of manifestation. and I'll give you specific techniques to shift your energy in order to make your dreams a reality. I also do live energy readings. 
and you can be a part of the show by emailing your questions to me at sandrataylor.net. Join me on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.